0: Alright, well, um, as stated, uh, one of our topics this morning is patience, and the other one is anger. Uh, So the game plan today is, uh, well, let me back up. We're working through the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges, and uh, shining the spotlight on some of the sins that we tend to kind of let slip under the radar, so to speak. Uh, So the game plan for this morning is to specifically look at impatience and anger We'll start with impatience, we'll define it, we'll sort of answer the, the, the question of uh, who cares, why is this really so important, uh, we'll do a case study on it, discuss some of the subtle ways it can sneak into our hearts, uh, and then lay out a plan for combating that sin. We'll then tackle anger and basically do the same game plan on that as well. All right, uh, so before we dive into that, let me open us in a word of prayer and we'll we'll get into it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for this morning that you've given to us. Every day is a, is a gift from you. You don't owe us another sun, another sunrise. We thank you for that. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. As we dive into these sins, uh, it, it can easy, be easy to get discouraged, but we thank you that uh, through your Holy Spirit and through your word, uh, you've given us the tools to, to deal with sin. You've saved us. You've broken the chains of sin, and now as we fight the remaining indwelling sin, uh, you are with us all all along the way, every step. We thank you for this, we praise you for this, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start off off with impatience. And uh, as we work towards a definition of impatience, we're actually going to start with the positive version of it, uh, the other positive side of the coin, and we're going to define patience first. Uh, so, patience is the calm, uncomplaining endurance of pain, affliction, or inconvenience. Let me say that again. Patience is the calm, uncomplaining endurance of pain, affliction, or inconvenience. So, if we add the prefix back into that, the im, Im for imperfect, or sorry, in, uh, impatience, it is the strong sense of irritation and complaining from pain, affliction, or inconvenience. One more time impatience the strong sense of irritation and complaining from pain, affliction or inconvenience. So now that we have a sort of a working definition uh, to, to go off of, let's answer the question the, the so what question the, like the who cares? Like don't we have bigger fish to fry here? Uh, why, why are we talking about impatience? And there's no better place uh, to answer that question. Then scripture. So if I get a couple readers, we'll uh, we'll go to a couple places just to kick that off. If I could get a reader, uh, Galatians 5.22, if someone could read that. Yes, Paul. Uh, if someone could read 1 Corinthians 13.4. Yes, Rodney. Awesome. And then if we could do Galatians whenever you have it ready there, Paul. Awesome, thank you. So patience, it's in the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit flows directly from the nature and character of God. So let's not kid ourselves. When we fail to be patient, when impatience grips our heart, we're at war with the Holy Spirit. We're diametrically opposed to the nature of God. We're actively hindering His work, actively spoiling His fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. So we may consider it subtle, unimportant, uh, but God certainly does not take that that viewpoint. First uh, Corinthians thirteen four. If we could read that one. Okay, thank you, yes, that's right. Love, love is patience and kind, right at the beginning of the verse. So, 1 Corinthians 13, of course, this is the chapter um, all about love, defining, uh, demonstrating various aspects of love, and love is patient. So remember, when we're impatient, our hearts are not characterized by love. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So, if lack of patience indicates a lack of love, and lack of love indicates a lack of the knowledge of God. Um, that's a very bad chain <laughs> to be a part of. You don't want to be patient. That's demonstrating a lack of the knowledge of God. All right, so now that we've seen uh, the seriousness of, of impatience, why it matters, we're about to jump into a short case study um, on that topic. But before we do that, uh, are there any questions, comments, anything we can clarify uh, before we transition into that?
1: Yes.
0: Oh, the definition of impatience. Yes. All right. Uh, so we, the working definition, just for this class, is the strong sense of irritation and complaining from pain, affliction, or inconvenience. I'll, I'll say that once more: the strong sense of irritation and complaining from pain, affliction, or inconvenience. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that, Anna. Any anything else before we go into a case study? All right. Uh, so let's let's dive in. Uh, I would encourage actually everyone to turn to First Samuel chapter thirteen. First uh, Samuel thirteen. Uh, so now that we've seen uh, the sinfulness, the seriousness of impatience. Uh, Let's take this sort of out of the theoretical realm and kind of uh, have the rubber meet the road, so to speak. So, we'll start with a short case study, and then after that, examine some of the ways that impatience can creep into our own hearts. So, 1 Samuel chapter 13, we'll do verses 5 to 14. And uh, I'll, I'll read this one for us 1 Samuel 13, 5 to 14. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash, to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people following him followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. All right. So Saul has been king over Israel two years. And now their perennial enemies, the Philistines, are attacking again. They're on the march against God's people with a highly mobile strike force. Samuel the priest has promised I'm going to be there in 7 days to offer the sacrifice. Wait for me and then and then we'll then we'll act. But Samuel's running late. And without that central unifying cause to unify the nation, every all the soldiers, everyone's starting to scatter, his armies starting to disintegrate, his armies imploding. So Saul standing there, what what am I going to do? His eyes wander over to the animals that were ready for Samuel to sacrifice. Hmm. Yes, God expressly forbids the king to do priestly functions and offer sacrifices. Um, God's explicitly commanded the separate roles of prophet, priest, and king. Uh, I have no business doing that. But Samuel's late. (laughs) This sacrifice needs to be done ASAP, one way or another. I don't have time to spare Desperate times call for desperate measures. There's no, no time to spare. God's, God will understand the situation. I mean, surely it would be better for me to do the sacrifice than not do it at all. And, I mean, if I don't do this, the army is going to disintegrate. If we don't have the army, how are we going to win this battle? Uh, who's going to fight for us, right? Uh, so God will understand. Bring me the sacrifice. Let's get this thing done. <laughs> So notice notice his reasons. He gives three reasons justifying his impatience not waiting for Samuel. In verse 11, three reasons that he uh, three causes that he cites for his impatience. Uh, let's see can we let's uh, just shout them out if you see them. Name them three reasons in verse 11 that Saul cites for his impatience. Yeah. That's right. The people were scattering for me. If uh, if the people hadn't been scattering uh, this wouldn't have happened. It's uh, the people. The people caused my impatience. They're 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 to blame for that. All right, that's the first one. Uh, number two or two or three. Let's. See. What else is out there? What's that? You're late. You're late. That's right. <laughs> you're late, Samuel. <laughs> Samuel, this is your fault. Uh, yes, I was impatient. Uh, you're late. You caused this, though. Uh, number three. What's number three?
2: The Philistines are assembling.
0: That's right. The Philistines. Yeah, that's right. The Philistines are at Mi'kmash, Samuel. Samuel, they're 15 miles away with 30,000 chariots. Um, they could come tearing through that valley in two hours. Uh, I don't have time to wait around for you dilly-dallying to do this sacrifice. Um, the Philistines the Philistines caused me to do this. Uh, the people caused me to do this. Uh, Samuel, Samuel, you caused me to do this. The Philistines caused this. Um, all of these things caused my impatience. But, so that's, uh, that's Saul's diagnosis here. Now, are these real issues? Are these uh, are these legitimate concerns? Sure, but uh, but let's notice God's diagnosis. God has a, a different diagnosis than Saul. If someone could read out verse fourteen, um, I'll stop you partway through. But if someone wants to do uh, verse fourteen, just start reading. But now
1: you're. Pause right
0: there. All right. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So, if the solution to his impatience is a new king with a godly heart, what does that mean the problem with Saul is? His heart. You have an issue with your heart, Saul. A faithless heart caused this. The people didn't cause this. Samuel's tardiness didn't cause this. And the Philistines didn't cause this. Your deficient heart caused your impatience. Those things just provided an opportunity, an outlet for you to display your true self externally. So from that, we have to remember that when we're dealing with impatience, when impatience wants to wrap its gnarly fingers around our hearts, the problem is not the situation. The problem is primarily your heart. It's a heart issue. Now we're about to look at some specific ways that impatience... Uh, can wrap itself and grip our hearts, but before we do that, before we transition to that, uh, are there any questions, any comments, any thoughts, anything before we before we transition to that? All right. Let's look at some practical some practical situations. Now, I doubt you've had a situation. And with impatience, that included 30,000 chariots and a tardy priest. Um, but we certainly do have situations where a deficient heart leads us into impatience. Now, we might be thinking, uh, yes, this absolutely applies uh, to, to big things, right? I, I'm not supposed to yell at my spouse when they keep doing that one thing that constantly grates on my nerves, um, I, I shouldn't do sign language gestures uh, to that, that really slow car when I'm, I'm in a hurry. Um, I should be patient with them. You know, I shouldn't be harassing that customer service representative that doesn't know their own policies, and I keep having to explain this over and over and again, right? I, I shouldn't be, you know, harassing them. Um, so we're all thinking, yes, yes, you know, we ought not to do that, of course. But again, the course that we're doing now, this is respectable sins, right? These are the little ones that oftentimes will let slip under the radar. So we're dealing with the baby sins, the ones we tolerate deep in our heart, as long as they don't grow big, as long as they're not easily noticeable to other people. And like Saul, we're often impatient regarding good things, right? Saul wanted to offer the sacrifice to God, he wanted to keep the army from scattering. He wanted he was wanted to fight for his country, for his people. Those are all good things, and um, and oftentimes we'll give a pass to our own impatience when it's in regards to a good thing. So, impatience with good things—what wh- does that look like? How about uh, impatience regarding the salvation of friends or family members? Right, I've been sharing the gospel with this person for years. Um, Nothing seems to be happening. Uh, you know, I, I'm done with that. I've I've done my time. <laughs> I'm I'm good. Why Why am I even doing this again? Like nothing seems to be happening. Uh, or how about this one? I'll keep in touch with that person that I've been witnessing to, but they've just been so resistant over this time. I'm just I'm gonna let you know some. Uh, I'll let some contention seep into our discussions. I'll, I'll let them know that I'm not particularly happy. With particularly happy with them. After all, God's way of of loving kindness to showing that to them doesn't really seem to be working. How about, um, let's see, impatience with good things. How about when God hasn't yet fulfilled a long-held desire for children? Right? Well, God, you gave that woman a baby and she decided to, quote, get rid of it. Why are you making me wait when I would love and adore that child? I've thought that before. What about, uh, what about going to church? Right? This is a classic one. Right? When your family member or maybe a friend that's picking you up, when they're late and they make you late, <laughs> I think we can all identify with that sense of impatience. Like I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to do a good thing here. Um, but let's dissect that one a little bit. What's actually driving that impatience? For me... Oftentimes, it's not actually my eagerness to not miss that first five minutes of the service. It's oftentimes more of a pride issue, right? Someone else may be late. Maybe people will think I was the one that made us late, right? Or maybe people will think, I'm not running my home well. I'm not, I'm not keeping us on schedule, right? Get your act together, buddy, kind of thing. Um, keep your family in order, right? Now, if you remember the analogy that Terry used uh, last week, the analogy of the tree. Ungodliness are the roots, the trunk forms into pride, and then out of the pride, all the branches of various sins. Um, Self discipline, like we talked about last week, uh, pride, or sorry, anger, impatience, things that we're talking about today. Um, so, in that situation, pride was causing my impatience, it was not my eagerness. Necessarily, to catch that first 10 minutes of the service. Any other impatience regarding good things? Any other examples that spring to mind? Um, things that you'd like to share? Anybody? Yeah, Tim. With the
3: in a parenting scenario where we're training our children and they're not getting it as fast as you want them to and you know ostensibly we're trying to lead them toward something good that would be good for them to get um but it's kind of like the evangelism situation like, it is a good thing what you're seeking this person's life but you become impatient with not getting it fast enough on our own self-determined kind of
0: there we go exactly yeah that's a great one right i'm trying to train my kids <laughs> i'm doing trying to do the right thing Um, They're just not not getting yet. Yeah. Any other Terry? Yes.
4: Uh, Like discipling or shepherding opportunities where we the Lord has revealed to us a a great blessing in His Word, and we're trying to minister it to someone else. Why can't you get it? I get it. Why can't you get it?
0: Absolutely discipleship opportunities, right? When when the other person maybe isn't uh, getting it quite as rapidly as we would like to. Uh, Things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, any other, any other ideas, thoughts? Yes, Jeff. Well,
5: I think there's, there's, there's a myriad of things that we just do daily that we think, why doesn't this person or why doesn't my spouse do it this way? This way so much more efficient, right?
6: And you become impatient.
5: What even sometimes just watching someone do something that you could see you've done faster or your way, and uh, yeah, and. and there's so many uh, varieties of that that, that that can happen
0: just on a daily basis. That's a great example, right, with family members or a spouse, right? When uh, when they're doing something a little bit slow and we're like, hey, there's a better way maybe, um, but maybe they're a little bit resistant to accepting that. That's a, that's a great one, Jeff, yes. Any, any, well, let's do one more and then we'll we'll keep scooting forward. Any, any last one? Yeah, Chinway.
7: Maybe just like even like reservations for, I don't know, dinner vacation camping whatever and then you need to do it within a certain deadline or else you won't get the spot or something and it's like okay this person is not responding why aren't they doing their part and so i think it's kind of similar that that can cause some frustration for sure that's a great one yeah when you're trying to
0: serve someone by getting reservations or things like that for them and they're uh, not not cooperating very well thanks yeah thanks Jinway. all right uh, one yeah we'll do one more last one yes
1: I'm struck by the like the pain part of it, like the calmly enduring pain, and Mm -hmm. and how impatience can be. We can direct our impatience outside that it's really related to that, not calmly enduring that pain,
0: um, and (coughs) suffering. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that that thought as well. All right, um, well, we need to keep keep moving on. Uh, So let's um, let's see. All right, let's 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 quick look at uh, combating impatience. Just a quick, quick thing about how, how can we fight this. Now, if we remember our analogy again, ungodliness as the roots, pride as the trunk, uh, and then all those sins as the branches coming out. Uh, if ungodliness at the root is the problem, then the solution to that will be godliness. The roots of godliness will then form the trunk of humble submission to God, and then out of that will flow... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the fruit of the Spirit. Right? A very fitting analogy there. So what does this actually look like um, in real life, fighting this? Can I get two readers? Uh, we're going to do Psalm 37, verse 7, and Isaiah 30, verse 18. Uh, someone for Psalm 37, verse 7, Matt, and then Isaiah thirty-eighteen. 18. Um, yes, right here. Uh, Matt, as well. Okay. Let's see. uh, Psalm 37, 7, whenever you you have it.
8: Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices.
0: All right. So according to this verse, uh, the solution for impatience, right? Wait before the Lord, wait patiently for him. So what's the solution right at the beginning of that verse? Be still. There we go. Be still before the Lord see the ungodly heart, right it's uh, it's fretting over the Philistines. The, ungodly, the godly heart, in contrast, the patient heart understands the battle belongs to the Lord. He will fight for you in his timing. right The ungodly heart, the un- impatient heart presumptuously takes matters into their own hands. The godly heart understands and actually believes. That all things are in God's hand. And if God has a grip on you, he'll never let you go. He'll never lose you. Isaiah 30, 18.
1: Therefore the Lord waits to be
0: gracious
5: to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a
0: God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now earlier in this chapter, in Isaiah 30, God is condemning Israel for not waiting on the Lord. They're taking matters into their own hands with regards to battle plans, alliances. Um, They weren't willing to seek God. They weren't willing to patiently wait for his direction, much like Saul. God was waiting to bless them. But again, the godless heart pridefully makes its own plans and the branches of impatience bring them to ruin. Now, in just a moment we're going to transition into anger and kind of do that same game plan of, of running through it. but before we do that, are there any questions any comments any thoughts anything we can clarify um, regarding impatience before we before we segue into anger Paul
2: I was thinking in my own life that uh, anxiety breeds impatience because like several people were talking about, I think the, I think uh, Impatience flares up sometimes when you the expect you have expectations of other people, like the customer service person on the phone. You're expecting to get on and off, no problem, <clears> taken <throat> care of. You know, you work with the company, you should know this or whatever. So I think expectations of people in my own life create anxiety, and then which creates impatience. Uh, but I'm, I'm constantly having to tell myself that the, the Lord is sovereign. You know. But a lot of times, uh, in connection with last week also, if you order your lives in a way, you can remove that anxiety, like, okay, make yourself half hour, get up half hour earlier for church. So you make sure you have plenty of time to get there so you're not anxious on the freeway. You have plenty of time to stop and get a coffee or whatever. You still got plenty of time to get there. Oftentimes, we order our lives correctly, a lot of that anxiety will go in and the imp- impatience will go with it. And I can you know, only speak for my own life.
0: No, that's a great, and I like that—that sort of the sequence, that chain that you brought out of the the false expectations leading to anxiety, and then that anxiety is leading to to impatience. No, that's a great, great uh, way of dissecting it. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah. Any um, any other, any other thoughts or comments or questions? Yeah, Tim. uh, Super
3: insightful. Just that—that's the ungodliest thing is there's there's a godlike function of deciding the schedule. Um, that you hear that was the one thing in Saul I said you didn't come at the appointed time and I think the the idea is the time that you said you would come but still there's Saul has a clock in his head that he's this is the authoritative clock basically we've got to make sure we we, not, we we meet the time tables and like what Paul said it's like there's that's the agaviness is that we assume our clock is the right clock and we don't let God be the sovereign one who
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we assume. Yeah, I like, I like exactly how you how you phrased that. We assume our clock. Our clock is is better than than God's clock. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Randy. Yes.
9: Yeah, tells us if the Lord wills it is the correct way to be looking at the activities of our life, and not to forget that like Paul says he is
0: sovereign. That's right. A great. Absolutely great perspective. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. I think I saw another hand. All right, well, let's, uh, let's transition into anger for a few moments. So if anger, or sorry, if impatience is left unchecked and impatience rules your life, one of the common results that will pour out is anger. So let's take the same sort of game plan that we used for impatience and let's lay that framework onto anger. We'll uh, we'll answer the, the so what question. Uh, we'll define it, do a case study, and then kind of analyze it and break it down a little bit. So, uh, why care? Why is this a big deal? Um, let's answer that with a few a few uh, scripture passages. If I could get three readers, uh, if I could get one for Titus one seven, uh, Terry. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Uh, I'll let's do, yes, in the back. All right. um, Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Okay, Gary. And then, um, Patty, I saw your hand. We'll, I'll get you next go around. We're, we'll, 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 we still got more coming. All right. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, Titus 1, 7. For an
4: overseer, as God's steward, He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain.
0: Thank you. So this verse, Titus 1-7, it's talking about the qualifications uh, for an elder, for a pastor, for that type of service in the church. And notice, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. So this sin, this is such a serious sin, it can disqualify you from serving in this capacity. God doesn't mess around with this one. Um, so is this a big deal? Yes, this is a very big deal um, Men do you aspire perhaps one day in the future to serve as an elder in a similar capacity this sin could disqualify you from that or w- ladies women do you have do you have a son do you want to raise a godly son that is qualified to serve christ's body in this way um, Anger ought not to be a characteristic of him uh, galatians five nineteen to twenty one
4: Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God.
0: Thank you. Now notice anger is in this list of things that God specifically cites as reasons Uh, for denying entry into the kingdom of God, for for casting people into hell. And only, right, this is an abbreviated list. It could be much longer. Uh, But there's some doozies in there. Uh, Fits of anger. We don't think anger's a big deal. Well, guess what? It's right next to idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, orgies. Uh, That's that's not a good list to be on. Uh, So remember, when, when we have, when our hearts are characterized by anger, when we're gripped by anger... Uh, that's one of those sins that's on this list. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big deal. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25.
9: Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with the wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle
4: yourself in a snare.
0: Thank you, Gary. So realize, according to Proverbs, if you're characterized by anger, Other believers are commanded by God not to be close friends with you, right? You can be acquaintances, right? I'll, you know, I'll chat with you in the office. Um, You know, we can have a nice conversation. Um, But I'm commanded by God not to let you in my inner circle. Um, This is a a big deal, anger. Has real world ramifications. Um, All right, so now that we've kind of seen the seriousness of this, um, sort of answered the so what, why we should care, just, to, just a few reasons on that. Uh, let's um, let's dive into what the Bible actually is, is teaching about anger. And the Bible says a lot about anger. In fact, if you do a word search for anger or angry in the Bible, it's going to come up well over 300 times. And interestingly, a sizable portion of those references are talking about God, about God's anger. So right off the bat, we have to acknowledge that anger is not inherently a sin. It's not necessarily a sin. Not definitionally a sin, right? If God can be angry and God does not sin, it's not it's not inherently a sin. However, however, if we're getting angry at the wrong things, or if the cause of our anger is not just, it's very easy to slide into the ungodly form of anger. So we we've just been hammering about how how bad angry evil anger is. So let, let's nuance that and demonstrate. Uh, first of all, just briefly, that not all anger is sinful because God can be angry. Let's just um, let's quickly, quickly just establish that and make that clear. Uh, if I could get a few readers, First uh, Kings eleven nine. Uh, so if anyone wants to volunteer for that, First Kings eleven nine. Rodney, uh, Nahum one two through three. Okay. Yes, uh, Cindy. Um, and actually, can I have you do Nahum one, two through three, and then verse six, tapped on as well. Yeah. So Nahum one, two, two, three, and then six. Um, and let's do. Let's do Psalm eleven. or sorry, Psalm seven, eleven. One more, Patty. Yes. And then Ephesians four, twenty-six. Laura, awesome. All right. First uh, Kings eleven, nine. Thank you, and then Nehu 1, 2, 3, and 6.
1: The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse six. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by
0: him. Thank you. In Psalm seven eleven,
7: God is a righteous judge and a God who feels
1: indignation every day.
0: Thank you. So, from those four, uh, we have God being angry, filled with indignation. Uh, just just to demonstrate that. And then just in case we're still on the fence about anger not explicitly being a sin, uh, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin.
1: Do not let the sun go down on your anger.
0: Thank you. So, Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. They're not mutually uh, exclusive. All right. So we've we've just kind of demonstrated righteous anger, that, that it is a thing, it does exist. Now we're going to spend most of our time really focusing on the bad anger, uh, some of those respectable sins. Uh, but before we uh, go into the definition, do we have? Are there any questions, any comments, anything related to um, to God's anger, any, anything regarding that? Yes, Jeff.
5: Yeah. It said in there in one of the verses that He is slow to anger, which. Um, I think, is very helpful in not sinning in your anger. It's the quick anger that would tend to lead more to being sinful in your anger, I
0: would think. Yes, no, you're spot on. That's right. (laughs) Spot on, yes. Yeah, got it. Slow to anger. Yes, and that's part of... um, We'll get down into the definition a a little bit. I think we'll touch on that. Uh, But yes, that's a great point to emphasize. Absolutely. Any, anything else? Any other questions? Uh, any comments? Any thoughts? On God's anger? All right. Uh, so so we've demonstrated that God is angry, but what exactly, what exactly does that mean? So let's get into definitions quickly. Let's define our terms. All right. Uh, we'll do first just a general definition, and then we'll kind of zero in and focus on a sort of a sp- specific one, and, and that will be the one that you want to write down. But... Uh, In general, anger is the strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. But uh, the one we really care about is, uh, we'll start with righteous anger, and then anything else that's not righteous anger will will be the bad kind of anger. Uh, So we'll start with righteous anger and define that. We'll take that off the table. All right, righteous anger. And this is probably the one that you'll want to write down. Righteous anger, a controlled feeling of strong displeasure derived from an accurate, godly perception of true evil. A controlled feeling of strong displeasure derived from an accurate, godly perception of true evil. I know that's a mouthful, so I'll do it one more time just for good measure. A controlled feeling of strong displeasure derived from an accurate, godly perception of true evil. Alright, let's break that down a little bit. Controlled, a controlled feeling. We talked about Terry talked about uh, self-control last week. So if anger causes you to lose your temper or retaliate in a spiteful, out of proportion way, that's a no-go. <laughs> that's not righteous anger, that, that's the bad type of anger. All right? God's response is always measured. When he pours out wrath, it's for just cause. He doesn't uh, he doesn't do overkill it's always perfectly just the punishment always fits the crime secondly notice the word accurate strong a controlled feeling of strong displeasure derived from an accurate perception of true evil right this is a real violation of God's moral law sometimes we can get worked up about all kinds of things that aren't actually evil let's say um, issues of conscience we can get worked up we can get angry maybe with a brother and sister for some issue of conscience that God has not explicitly commanded us. Uh, well that's that's not righteous anger it's not uh, it's not getting worked up about uh, coming from an accurate perception of true evil. And then notice the phrase the godly perception. Righteous anger is always focused, it always it revolves around God. It's primarily focused on something that has broken God's law, something that spits in God's face, something that's rebelling against God. It's not, it's not primarily us-focused, like someone wronged me. In just a moment, we'll do a case study on this, on anger. Uh, Now, before we do that, are there any questions, any clarifications regarding the definition, some of those definitions that we thought we talked about? All right. Let's do a case study on this. And, uh, And we'll use Saul again. His heart just seems to ooze it's just a bottomless chasm of sin. It seems like. Uh, so let's flip forward a few chapters. I would encourage everyone to flip to First Samuel chapter twenty. First Samuel twenty, we'll do verses twenty-seven to thirty-four. All right, First Samuel twenty twenty-seven to 20, twenty-seven to thirty-four. Does Does anyone actually want to read that for us? Yes, Don.
9: And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission
0: of me to go to Bethlehem. Can I pause you there, Don, for just a second? All right, so let's just backfill some context. Uh, David has already been anointed by God as the rightful king, but Saul is still desperately clinging on to power. And he's, Saul has secretly hatched this plan to assassinate David at a feast. David uh, has some inklings of what's going to happen. So he's talking with John, D- Jonathan, right, the king's son, and saying, hey, feel out your dad, see if, uh, if he's actually planning to, to knock me off at this feast. So David intentionally remained absent from this feast, And Jonathan is kind of gauging where King Saul is at. All right, and can you continue reading? Uh, Start at verse 28.
9: So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brother. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? And to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Don. Thank you for reading that long section. All right, so we have we have uh, kind of an interesting contrast here. We have Saul's anger, and we have Jonathan's anger. They're very different. In verse 31, notice the reason Saul gives for his anger. Uh, let's see. Does anyone, verse 31, what's, what's Saul's reason for his anger? Anyone just shout it out? David's going to take his
1: kingdom.
9: That's right.
0: <laughs> says, Saul says to Jonathan, As long as David's alive, you're not going to become king. I'm, son, I'm, I'm really just looking out for you. That, that's what's going on here. That, that's why I'm angry and upset about this. Uh, but then notice what he does. Then Deep down, right? Saul knows his anger is not justified. He does not have cause to be angry at David. David didn't cause, or David didn't sin against God. He hasn't done anything wrong. That should cause him to be angry, right? He's Saul is using this just as a shield to cover his sin. It's just an excuse and a, a flimsy one, right? Immediately after that, he betrays himself, right? Son, I'm just looking out for your best interest, and then he casts a spear at at his son. So, so that uh, that doesn't seem to fly. I think it's safe to say that the real reason Saul is angry is because his murderous plot has been thwarted, and he's been exposed. Right? He's angry because he was exposed. His ungodliness is on full display. His pride has taken a good beating. And now the fruit of his pride that we find is sinful anger. Now let's notice Jonathan's anger. Kind of an interesting contrast. Why is, why is Jonathan angry? What reason does he cite for his anger?
2: Because in, in thirty four, because he he was dishonoring
0: David. There we go. Would that be correct. That that's right. Yep, exactly. We're on the right track there. All right. First, right. He's angry at he's angry at the injustice towards David. All right, and he's clarifying. He's asking the questions because again. Righteous anger, it's, a, um, it's all about an accurate, true, evil, moral, something like that, right? That's, that's what we can be angry at. So he's, he's asking the right questions. Is this anger justified? Has David actually done something wrong? Has he, has he broken God's moral law in some way? And, of course, the answer is no, it's not justified. And then second, secondly, he's angry and grieved at the undeserved disgrace that is heaped upon David. Right, David is David is now he's been anointed by God as king. He is he is the rightful king, and Saul has made the rightful king some sort of uh, runaway bandit living in caves and hiding. Right, God's anointed ought not to have to live a life on the run like that. He's disgraced David. He's disgraced himself, and he's also disgraced Jonathan. So, Jonathan's anger, again, it's oriented towards God. What is he angry about? He's angry that David has been disgraced, and David is God's anointed. So, Jonathan here is exhibiting righteous anger. And then notice also, just as a side note, Jonathan's anger transitions into grief. In, um, let's see, in verse 34, right, he rises from the table in fierce anger, doesn't eat food, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him, right? So it starts out as a fierce anger, and then it transitions into grief, right? The anger doesn't just sit there, doesn't stew in bitterness, it's not plotting vengeance, personal retribution, but it's taking that anger and turning it into something productive, grief, right? He's following following that pattern, and that's just a great illustration, of uh, another way that we can identify whether anger is godly or not: Are we just sitting on it, stewing on it, or is it transitioning into something productive, like grief? In just a moment, we'll we'll talk about some more practical life situations. Uh, again, I, I hope someone hasn't thrown a spear at you recently. Um, but before we before we get a little bit more practical, practical nuts and bolts of what this might look like for us uh, on this case study, are there any questions? Uh, Any thoughts, anything that you'd like to contribute to that discussion?
2: You know, Josh, that's a strong word. The the word grieved, that that shows the relationship that that Jonathan had with David, that strong relationship. But also the fact that Saul would throw a spear at his own son shows the depravity of Saul, and he's sinking fast from someone that Samuel anointed to all of a sudden a few chapters later. He's, he's he's dropping fat. He's, he's growing fat. I mean, he's losing it. We turn that losing these days. Someone's losing it.
0: That's right.
2: He's losing it fast. Because he's losing his son. He knows his son is starting to take the other's point of view from David. He knows his son is close to David. So that also, and then what he disparaged his son by talking about him, about his mother in verse 30. That's right. I mean, this guy's, this guy's losing it.
0: That's right. Yeah. No. It's a great. That's a great. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because it does really illustrate that downward spiral, uh, right? In impatience, we saw at the beginning, and then we just a few chapters. It's a terrible problem with anger, trying to kill his own son. Right. All these, It's just this downward spiral. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, for for kind of uh, putting a spotlight on that a little bit more. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, yes.
6: Paul's problem is that he can keep God and His commandments in the rightful place. So what it brought on for Saul was a self-inflicted judgment and consequences. And the further that Saul goes in his unrighteousness, the worse the judgment, the worse the consequences. Eventually, death.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's he's breaking commandments left and right. And it gets worse yeah.
6: because he's keeping himself in where God's rightful place is.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, thank he's you. He's thank you. That's right. And that really goes. Relates really to, literally to the heart of the matter, right? It's the this heart that's not longing after God. It's not the situation, right, per se, that's causing him to be angry. But like you said, it's that godless heart that's then flowing into this pride, this arrogance, and all these things, and then the anger and the impatience and everything.
6: Unrighteous desires equal sinful reactions.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, Terry.
4: Yeah, I appreciate using Saul again as a case study here. Uh, it really reminds me that I'm not immune to what Saul is going through, kind of like what Paul was saying, just now, that downward spiral. I'm, I'm not at all immune to it, and if I let small bits of impatience fester and, and bubble into anger, uh, I very well could be in that same spiral as, as Saul. Um, I think we we read Ephesians 4, 26 earlier. It's a good reminder to, to nip it in the bud early before it gets to be out of, out of, out of uh, proportion.
0: Yeah. yeah, thanks, Terry. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely just kind of reiterating what you were saying. Um, yeah, nip it in the in the bud before it blossoms into something far worse. Thank you. Yeah, Tunwei.
7: find the interesting contrast between Saul and David again later because Nathan, when he dresses. David's sin with Bathsheba, he almost tells a story to incite his anger and then turns it, and then David, I mean, being godly, he he does produce grief, right? Like, kind of like, where some like, Jonathan has grief, but then David immediately, seeing that the anger towards this fictional story is actually a real story, then he realized, oh, I'm a really simple person, and it actually leads to grief, and so, just kind of an interesting contrast. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that contrast out. I hadn't even necessarily... Noticed that, yeah. It's a great contrast between David, right? When his anger, when he sees his sin is demonstrated, right, he does. He's angry about it, but then turns into grief and then repents very quickly. Absolutely, yes. That's
1: the fear and trust of the Lord in in that. It's like often our fear, like, well, you could say Saul was like. He's also fearful of losing power and control, and turning that into anger. But he wasn't trusting for his, his position in life. And, um, and God had put him in his position, and God was removing that position. And so often, our, our sinful response to our circumstances are simply us not trusting in the goodness
0: of the Lord. That's an interesting point that you brought out there, that uh, right, the godly response would have been, oh, okay, God has decided that he's transferring the crown, the anointing, to someone else. Um God's plan is better than mine. I should just relinquish that. Um, but right, the godless heart just wants to hold on to it. Like, no, this is my way. I'm going to do my own plan, retain my power. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for illustrating that. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, yeah. Any, any others? All right, one la- is it, is there one last one before we move on? Oh, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, kind of
5: to what Terry said. We, we're pretty hard on salt, but um, we're pretty similar in many ways. Whenever we're you know when we're confronted with um, our wrong, our sin, um, many times our first response is to defend ourselves and you know, go, "Oh, wait a minute, you know, blah 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 blah,", blah and not um, really self-examine first. Uh, when we react. react. And
0: usually
6: improper.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and that kind of goes to Chinway's point a little bit about the contrast with David. That David doesn't necessarily defend himself when that's brought up. He, oh wow, I, I messed up big. Let me grieve. Let me repent. Uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for um, spotting that, Jeff. All right. Let's uh, let's look at just some practical life scenarios for us. What does this actually look like? How do we know if sinful anger is entangling us? All right, here's an example. Something that happened to me a few years back. You're driving along, you see a large semi truck with a pro-life, anti-abortion advertisement plastered on the side, with some rather graphic images depicting the horrors of abortion. If you get angry, is that righteous anger? Why or why not? Thoughts on that? You
3: mean angry at abortion or angry at the truck
0: for having that on? <laughs> well, that, that that that's part of it. All right. Well, let's do you want to do you want to expound say make a case one way or the or another of how you maybe you would perceive that?
3: Um if it's anger at abortion, I would say there could, that could be righteous anger. This is true it follows the criteria: of true injustice that dishonors God. So it could be il- illustrating and pointing out this injustice that's pretty pervasive in our in our society. society. Um, you might you might be angry at the methods of the person. Is that kind of so like? might say oh that's really tasteless and not helpful to the cause even if i agree on the principle um that one's more of a wisdom issue i guess is that kind of what you're
0: there yeah there's some interesting ways you could take that interesting things that you could be angry about positive or negative any other thought yeah matt So that would be sort of righteous anger. You're talking about wanting justice on people that are perpetrating this. Am I understanding that?
8: Well, it becomes unrighteous when you are tempted or even do want to carry out that justice for yourself.
0: Okay, so an unrighteous anger that you personally want to take out vengeance and wrath on people that are breaking God's law. That's right. Yes?
1: Yeah, I I remember having a conversation with somebody about pro-life situation. It was a fellow believer that I was talking to and we were very much in agreement on the evils of abortion to the point where he responded in a way that implied that a woman or a doctor who had had an abortion or helped in an abortion did not deserve God's mercy or forgiveness but only deserved God's wrath and hell because of that. And certainly, yes, we none of us deserve God's mercy and forgiveness, but but the, the desire to not love mercy for those who have carried out great evil deeds and injustices where we can, our anger can, I, I believe, grieve <clears throat> the spirit within us and the gospel right. of, the, of
0: truth. Right, absolutely, that's okay, that's a, so we can, we can take that in a very unrighteous sort of anger, absolutely, that's a great, great example of one way we can take that. Any others before we... <clears throat> dissect that a little bit more. Any other, maybe one last person that wants to take a stab at it. Righteous anger, unrighteous, and why? Why might it be that? Alright, well, let's let's dissect that. Um, let's see. So, some good reasons to be angry, like, like was touched on. Um, right? Murder. Man is being made in the image of God, right? The image of God being marred. How about uh, we could be righteously angry at government, Violating God's delegated authority, right? Using our tax dollars to not protect life as God has commanded, but to help facilitate human destruction, especially in the state we live in, right? Um, our tax dollars at work. Who could be angry at that? Um, but uh, I, I wish those were the things in that moment that I was angry about. Uh, but uh, but it, that was not that. It was, it was really ungodly anger. The anger, My anger in that moment was skewed at a slightly different direction. Now again, godly anger is a controlled feeling of strong displeasure arising from an accurate godly perception of true evil. One of, Let's say one of my reasons was this. I was having a great day, great weather outside, it was sunny. I see this graphic image and my day is ruined. And I'm angry that my day has been ruined, that I have to see this thing, all right? And notice all the eyes in that, right? I was having a good day, my day was ruined, I'm angry, it's not, my goodness, the image of God is being marred, Uh, all 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 these things, or how about another bad reason? Maybe I'm not particularly motivated to actually help and actually do something about this issue, and seeing a graphic poster like that exposes my apathetic uncaring heart maybe it wasn't a sense of true evil that angered me but this just exposed my apathy and it hurt my pride and angered me because now I felt like a bad person I feel like I'm a bad person I'm not who I ought to be and now I'm angry about that right so as we as we think through in our own lives different things that get us angry. Angry. Um, often, things that on the surface could appear, could appear like, yes, we ought to be angry about that. We really have to dissect it, break it down, um, seeing is it is it that root issue of ungodliness? Is it a pride issue, or some of those other sins that flow out of it? Right. Now, uh, now, some of us maybe are thinking, you know, I've got a handle on this on this anger issue you know, it's not really a problem for me. My anger doesn't come out. Like, believe me, I've got a really good filter. My anger doesn't come out. Um, you know, I've never thought of throwing a spear at a person. You know, maybe I've thought about throwing a spear at a person, but I never actually did it. Um, you know, I, I remember once as a 15 year old telling my dad, boasting of my self control, you know, dad, I could be absolutely furious at someone and they would never even know it. Um, And he deflated my balloon really fast and said, son, that is not healthy. Um, All right. Uh, The point, or as Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the point is not to have a great filter that keeps anger from spewing out. If the water is pure, it doesn't need a filter. Let me say that again. If the water is pure, it doesn't need a filter. The goal is a pure heart, not outward conformity. Let's consider the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus takes a few sins and breaks them down, very much in this way. He says, um, yeah, you might only you might lust after a woman in your heart, um, but because you have a good filter and you never act out externally, well, Jesus says you still committed adultery. Jesus doesn't draw that hard line like we do between our heart and and the external manifestations of it. And interestingly, right before that example, he starts with anger. If I could get two readers, uh, one for Matthew 5, 21 to 22, if someone would like to volunteer to read that one. Tim, absolutely. And then uh, another one for Matthew twenty-three twenty-five. I think I saw a hand on the right side. Does anyone want to grab that one? Uh, Matt. All right, and whenever we have it ready, Matthew five twenty-one to twenty-two.
3: You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder," and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, "You fool," will be liable to the hell of fire.
0: All right, thank you. So, if you're angry with your brother and you hate him. Uh, you've essentially committed murder, right? We like to think, oh, I have a great filter. It doesn't spew out. I've got this under control. Well, Jesus, uh, Jesus says otherwise. We ought not to think that Jesus will allow us to cherish some hidden anger as long as it just looks good on the outside. He's not going to let you off the hook. And this is exactly the type of thing that Jesus is always condemning the Pharisees for. Uh, whoever has Matthew 23, 25.
8: Woe well, to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence.
0: Thank you. Actually, could you just continue reading through verse 28?
8: You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, you are, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness.
0: Thank you. First clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will be clean. All right? You're like a whitewashed tomb, looking great on the outside, inside full of uncleanness and dead bones. Now no doubt um, all of us can resonate with that to some degree, Maybe for some of us, that'll sting a little bit more than others. If the inside's clean, the outside will invariably follow. So in conclusion, as we grapple with impatience, with anger, we need to remember this is not just merely an issue of self-discipline. Right? This is not a call to tighten the belt, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, This is a call to let a superior affection reign in your heart, and as a result, impatience and anger will naturally fade away. Thomas uh, Thomas Chalmers, the mid-19th century Scottish pastor and author, wrote a great little booklet called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He argues that the best way to remove the snares of sin from our hearts is not through legalistic obedience, but through the power of a new and greater affection for God. So the illustration goes like this. You have a glass, a cup. Um, if you want to remove the air out of that cup, what's the best way to do it? Right? You could try to vacuum. You could try to suction all the air out, but of course you're going to create a vacuum. And it's going to be tremendously difficult. It's not really going to work. Or instead, you could simply fill the glass with water, and that will naturally expel the air out of the glass right? and similarly with us dealing with sin the expulsive power of a new affection a new affection fills us and will naturally expel those things it's not, it's not just a matter of self-discipline of trying to do this on our own we need the, the Holy Spirit to fill us and, and remove those things naturally from us So what is the best way to remove impatience and sinful anger? Let trust in God lead your heart, recognizing he withholds no good thing from those who love him. He will supply exactly what he wants to give you in his timing. Let trust in God allow you to recognize that God will repay in the end, and his righteous anger carries far more weight than yours ever could. Leave it to God. Let love for God Rule your heart. Before we pray, before we wrap up, we have just a, just a couple moments. Are there any uh, any final questions, comments, or thoughts before we uh, before we wrap that up? Yes, Gary. Okay,
6: at the, you know, the end of the chapter twenty, there and, it, and Jonathan uh, tells David, "You can go in safety. We've sworn." And then uh, he said. The Lord will be between me and you. And okay, I'm going to trust you're going to take care of me. And But, but we have an example of a man who went away and he yielded to God's will, even though he, he would lose his kingdom. So we see an example, and, and Jonathan went about his business, and he did die, but yet he... He had none of the anger that his dad had. He lost everything as well, but yet he trusted in God. And so we have these examples of human beings that that do it, that can show us that we need to practice that kind of stuff too. We can just overcome that anger and just go on and do our business. And so I've always had tremendous respect for Jonathan as an example to me of really the love that he has for God, that he will take it even though he knew he was going to lose it all. You know, he, That's right. He did it. So, great example. Yeah,
0: thank you for bringing that out. And just like you said, there's an element of practice to it. right? We need to be working at these things. But the primary driver, driver of that ought not to be ourselves. Um, it, we have to let the Holy Spirit, uh, through his word, naturally do those things. Uh, we have time uh, maybe for one, one question or comment, and then we'll close out. Is there any? Yes, Randy. Yeah, the uh, traits that we've been
9: discussing in this series are things that God wants us to relinquish. And as an example of Saul, just the anger issue, it does damage, and it, it just ripples out to everybody around him. So it's not just that God wants us to not be this. It's also because if we don't, we will hurt or do damage in other people's lives.
0: Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Randy. Yes, absolutely. All right, we are, we're right, uh, right at the mark, uh, so why don't we close in prayer? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, uh, our hearts are convicted uh, in in many ways. I pray that you would continue to bring that conviction of where we've been impatient, where we've been angry, uh, wrongfully angry, Lord. We pray that you would convict us and show us those things. And I pray that you not only show us and elucidate those things to us, but that you would continue giving us the strength and, and perseverance to rely on you, your Holy Spirit, the cleansing power of your word, to remove those sins. Thank you that you give, you withhold no good thing from your children for those, to them that love you. We thank you and we praise you for that. We know that as we we go out, um, as we see how impatience and anger has hold in our lives, we know that you're with us and you give us the strength and everything we need for that. We thank you for that. We lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.